0: Y'all know who Paul Harvey is? I really like Paul Harvey. You know, um, he was named American of the Year, Father of the Year, Salesman of the Year, Commentator of the Year, Person of the Year, and listed in a Gallup poll of America's most admired men. I didn't know that. I admired him, but I didn't know he had uh, received such admiration and respect from so many. One of the things I really like about him was that he was a great coiner of words. Reaganomics, guesstimate, and skyjacker have all been attributed to Paul Harvey. Um, He was uh, awarded 11 Freedom Foundation Awards, the Horatio Alger Award and the Presidential Medal of Honor. I didn't know that. Maybe like uh, me... Most of you remember Paul Harvey from uh, his ubiquitous The Rest of the Story pieces, which broadcast to more than 24 million listeners every week. And the rest of the story consisted of stories presented as little known or forgotten facts on a variety of subjects with some key element of the story held back until the very end. And so the broadcast always concluded with a variation of the now famous tagline. And now you know the rest of the story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, open your Bibles with me this morning uh, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 18 in your blue Bible. That's on page 857, Luke 2, 6 through 18. Luke is continuing the birth narrative by recounting an angel accompanied by a great heavenly host of angels declaring to some shepherds, today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, We know this story. We know there was no room in Bethlehem for Joseph and Mary. We know they swaddled baby Jesus up like a little burrito. And we know that they used a feeding trough for a crib. But why is this scene a sign to the shepherds that this child is the Messiah? What's the significance of the inn, the cloth, and the manger? As we move toward Christmas, putting Christ fully in the middle, fully at the center of Christmas, entails that we get the story right, entails that we know the depth of the full story. So, what's the rest of the story? We begin with the end. The end. Luke is not talking about a best Eastern. Look at (laughs) at verse 7. Look at verse 7. There was no... (laughs) There was no guest room available for them. When Luke meant to indicate an inn like a hotel for travelers, he used the word pendakion. Y'all can try and use that. Uh, in a complete sentence this week. Good luck. For example, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that one? The badly beaten man is taken to an inn, a pandachian, to rest and recover. That's not the word that Luke uses in the birth narrative. The word that Luke uses here is kataluma. Uh, and it indicates a lower room of a two-level house. In his book, Jesus, through Middle Eastern eyes, Kenneth Bailey does a remarkable job describing what this actual scene probably looked like. Um, He describes the most common design for a simple first century home uh, would have consisted of two levels, an upper floor where the family slept and where a guest room might also be available, and then a lower floor that was used for ordinary daytime living and where the animals would have been brought in, the livestock would have been brought in and kept warm and safe at night. And Luke uses the word kataluma to describe the lower level of this house. So by the time Mary and Joseph arrive at the home of Joseph's relatives, the guest room upstairs, the extra room for relatives upstairs, was already occupied and completely full. There was no room left upstairs in this overcrowded house. So Mary and Joseph stayed downstairs, Cataluma, where the livestock was brought in for the night. That's where Jesus... Was born. Jesus was born in the midst of animals. Jesus was born in the midst of what was probably a bit of a mess. It's certainly not as sanitary as a hospital room. And that's the point, point. God deliberately chooses to enter in to messy spaces. Jesus could have chosen anywhere to have been born. But he intentionally chose a, rest, a messy room to make a point. And the point is this. God desires, God chooses to come into the messiness of the world, and the messiness of our lives. And the good news is that because, uh, it's really good news because so often, our our instinct, our natural response is that we don't turn to God in the midst of our mess. We don't turn to God because we feel like we're too much of a mess even ask. We don't invite God into our mess because we think he will reject us for the mess or punish us for the mess. And so, so often we don't even welcome him in. Think about your mess. What's messy in your life? What's messy in your heart? What's messy in your relationships? What's messy in your understanding of God? What's messy in your understanding of yourself? What's your mess? The good news is our mess doesn't make us unworthy of God's love. God doesn't leave us in our mess. God doesn't abandon us to take care of the mess by ourselves, because we can't. The good news is that God demonstrates his love in the midst of the mess. In the midst of the mess, God comes to be with us. And full of grace and mercy and tenderness and kindness and patience and comfort, God comes to clean us up and to clean up the mess we've made. God draws near to us in our mess. God is with us. God is for us. No matter how messed up we are or how big a mess we made, Jesus comes into our mess. Not to judge our mess. Not to hold our mess against us. But to clean up our mess for us and with us. Now that's how Jesus loves us and how we're called to love one another in gospel community. It's messy. Life outside of the garden after the fall is messy. But Jesus is the king of the cleanup. Next is the cloth. Here's some photos of... uh, Me with uh, my kids and their little burrito blankets. That's me a couple hours after uh, Benjamin was born. That's me uh, 10 minutes after Susanna was born. Can you believe she has her eyes open so fast? That little burrito blanket. Mm. And that's me and uh, Jonathan Barrett right after he was born. Love the burrito blanket. Just love laying the baby out and wrapping them tight and making them feel all snug and secure and warm. Sometimes it even helps kind of subdue the crying. Look at, uh, look at verse 7, the cloth. What's the significance of the cloth in this story? The ESV says that Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloths. The New Living Translation says she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth. Now, these swaddling cloths could simply emphasize that the Messiah was fully human and began his life, like the rest of us, as a baby. But I wonder, is it possible that there's more than that? Why does the angel specifically mention that Jesus will be found in swaddling cloths and that this will be part of what identifies him as the Savior? You ever wondered that? Jewish tradition tells us that the swaddling cloth used for a newborn baby was most often the marital band at the couple's wedding, at their betrothal or at their wedding. And at the wedding, the couple would have their hands wrapped together in cloth as they made their promise to God and one another. This is where we get the term tying the knot. And the cloth represented that God was joining them together, making them one as directed by God in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so when Jesus was born, it's most likely uh, the marriage cloth that Mary used to swaddle Jesus. This would have been very common. And what would have happened is similar to what we do today. First, the baby was laid uh, on its back diagonally on this square cloth, right? You know, you got to start diagonally, right? I didn't know that at first. Took me a while to figure that out. And then after folding uh, the strips around, the infant was secured um, by taking other strips and, and tying them around like a ribbon, and uh, that wrapping prevent the baby from hurting itself or kicking or scratching or, or rolling over and not being able to breathe. And I think this is really um, a beautiful thing, not only that, not only does it show that Jesus is fully human, um, but it also alludes to what was done for us. And so what was done for Jesus in the natural, he really does for us in the spiritual. Because by, by faith, we are wrapped up, we are clothed, we are secure and safe in Christ. Like a, like a baby bundled up in a burrito blanket. We're wrapped in compassion for those in distress. We're covered in kindness to build up and bless our family, friends, and neighbors. We're we're donned in humility to quench our pride and hold back our selfish ambition. We're dressed in meekness so that whatever insults or hurts we bear, we resist returning evil for evil. A garment of patience enables us to endure trials and hardship and persecution. The blanket of forgiveness protects our relationships from the poison of bitterness. And above all, the infinite layers of selfless, sacrificial love demonstrate that we're truly Christ's disciples. Throughout the New Testament, the apostles would teach and encourage and remind believers of their identity in Christ, that we have been clothed in Christ, and that his attitude, his characteristics, are now uh, in us and we represent him through those ways. Think about why this would be a sign. A lower room and a typical house amidst the mess of livestock. Strips of cloth wrapping up this child. And then a manger. In verse seven, she laid him in a manger. Uh, We do something really similar at birth today. We take a newborn and we immediately put him in that little clear box uh, where we can clean up the child while mom is recovering. And we call it a a bassinet or an isolette or an incubator. I'm not really sure the exact term. I've, I've heard a lot of different names. But Mary and Joseph don't have one of those. So they laid Jesus in the next best thing that they could find. And in the lower room of this house, among the livestock, there would have been a wooden feeding trough, also called a manger. And so they laid Jesus in a manger because there was... No crib for a bed. Right? Okay. So, why would this scene be assigned to the shepherds? A lower room, swaddling cloth, a manger. Why would that be assigned to the shepherds that this child is the Messiah? Look at verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. In the fields outside of Bethlehem was a stone tower. And the tower was known as Migdal Eder, which means Tower of the Flock. And it was here that the prophet Micah declared that the Messiah would be born. Micah 4, eight, And you, O tower of the flock, Magdal Adair, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. It was built by Jacob to commemorate the death of his wife, Rachel, in childbirth. King David grew up in these fields and watched his animals gaze from the top of this tower. And in the first century, these fields were used to raise temple sheep, the special sheep sold for sacrifice at the temple. And so these Bethlehem shepherds were not any shepherds. They weren't just ordinary shepherds tending sheep. They were descendants of David tending David's flock, sheep destined for the temple. Jerusalem is just a short two miles away from Bethlehem. And so you might even think of the Bethlehem shepherds as outsourced employees of the temple. They're royal shepherds. And when it was time for the lambs to be born, the the Jewish tradition says that shepherds would bring the mom into the bottom of this tower, which served as a birthing room a safe shelter for the birth of these young lambs. And then the newborn lambs, because they were uh, known to thrash and kick after their birth, were treated in a very special way. To prevent a newborn lamb from injuring itself, the shepherds would swaddle them tightly in cloth and place them in a feeding trough. And it was the only way to ensure that they would be without spot or blemish and kept suitable for the temple sacrifice. Are you beginning to start to see the depth of this story? The birth announcement of the king of kings was made in the fields outside of Bethlehem. The announcement of a king was usually a big public event right in the middle of the day. This was a private event for the shepherds in the middle of the night. Those who first heard were shepherds. Look at verses 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. That will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying In a manger. The good news was first proclaimed to shepherds, not to priests or rulers, not to scribes or Pharisees, but to shepherds of the temple sheep in the fields of David. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. God's glory had dwelt in the tabernacle in the temple but had departed because of Israel's constant rebellion against God and clinginess to the false idols of the surrounding nations. And on this night, the angels declared that God's glory was returning to earth and was returning to earth in a person, namely a baby, the Son of God, the Messiah. And that night, a lowly manger became the Holy of Holies, radiant with the divine presence, the Shekinah glory of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Creation glorified God, but not as much as the creator becoming a man and dwelling among his creation. Glory to God in the highest and peace, peace. Peace is so much more than a truce in the battles of life. The peace of God, the shalom of God is well-being, physical, emotional, spiritual health, security, soundness, completeness, wholeness, in relationship with God and self and others. It's what we were created to enjoy with God and with one another. It's what was broken by the selfishness of sin, and it is what God sends a Savior to restore. Christ, the Messiah, was born to purchase our peace free for us, but costing him his blood, costing him his very life. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Messiah swaddled and lying in a manger would have been a powerful connection point for the shepherds. They would, have, they would have seen it and they would have gone, wow, or ah, somewhere between complete amazement at what God had done and how he had done it and the awe of being in the very presence of God made man the shepherds find Jesus lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloth without spot or blemish like a sacrificial lamb. A baby born in the same place that the Passover lambs were born. Swaddled like a Passover lamb pointing to the fact that this child was the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world Emmanuel, God with us. The second person of the Trinity, the God-man, who would live in order to die, to hang on a cross as our substitute and the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It was just as the angel declared. That would have been a sign. A huge, amazing, awesome sign. Melito of Sardis, the bishop of Sardis in Asia Minor, who died sometime around 180 AD, wrote this. For the sake of suffering humanity, he came down from heaven to earth, clothed himself in humanity in the virgin's womb, and was born a man. Then having a body capable of suffering, he took the pain of fallen humanity upon himself. He triumphed over the diseases of the soul and body that were its cause. And by his spirit, he dealt humanity's destroyer, death, a fatal blow. He was led forth like a lamb. He was slaughtered like a sheep. He ransomed us from our servitude to the world. He freed us from our slavery to the devil. He sealed our souls with his own spirit and the members of our body with his blood. An end. Swaddling cloths and a manger. Now you know the rest of the story. When the shepherds had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds are our example to imitate. God opens their eyes to the depth of what he is doing at Christmas. They believe the message and they respond by sharing it with others. They don't keep the peace. They release the peace because the peace was for all who would believe. They pick up where the angels leave off and proclaim the great news Of great joy. They're the ones that we imitate over the next couple of days. This afternoon, with our families, friends, neighbors, the rest of the story. Tonight, when we go caroling together, being sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit, and having the courage to share the fullness, the rest. Of the story. Tomorrow, Tuesday, with those at work or in the gym or wherever we are when we start our Christmas shopping, the rest of the story. In the town of David, a Savior was born. He's the Messiah, the Lord. He was wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger as a sign to the shepherds that he is not only God with us, but the very Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in whom peace and favor with God is forever found. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this beautiful, holy, sacred season. And as we come around the table of your Son this morning, we ask that you would come around us, that you would wrap us in your life, in your forgiveness, in your redemptive love. And that we would experience the fullness of the Christmas promise, the Christmas gift in every aspect of our lives. That you are with us, that you are for us, that you make all things new. And that we can trust you to be our peace and to restore us to the glory you created us to enjoy from the beginning. Lord, as we eat the bread and drink the wine, be made known to us. We pray, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.